We are starting into a series that we have entitled Adventure vs. Anxiety. It's going to take us through the end of October. And this uh, series title comes from a book that I read last spring by an author named Edwin Friedman. It was a book on leadership, and it's always fascinating when you're in a position um, uh, where you're leading people or in some ways, and people come to you with a book going, you really need to read this book on leadership. Uh, and enough people who I trusted said that, that you're like, okay, well, you know, uh, I will. And I did. And Friedman, first off, is a fascinating person. He is a fascinating individual. He was a, uh, he died a few years ago. He was a rabbi who did a lot of consulting with churches on leadership and especially with large churches on leadership. He was a college professor who was also a family therapist who spent a lot of his time doing work around the area of family therapy. That's what a lot of his writing was about. Um, but he also was a leadership consultant with different corporations and in the end with various branches of the federal government. So this rabbi had quite an interesting journey and had quite an interesting perspective. And what he did, a lot of this consulting work, including in families, was around this concept of leadership and how we are called to lead and lead faithfully. And what Friedman talks about is, um, is that we really have to pay attention. And, and this is for every person here and for us as a congregation uh, and for us as a society, which he says that one of the most important things obviously about leadership is decision making. How we make decisions in the small everyday things of life and in the large things of life. And he says when you look at any decision in any kind of system, whether it's a marriage or in a family or in a friendship or in a congregation or in a government, he says that decisions for the most part come down to two kind of competing factors. And those factors is, number one, that we make decisions out of a sense of adventure. And by adventure, he doesn't mean recklessness, but what he means is this sense of what is God going to do and how are our eyes open and how do we venture out and see what God has in store for us. And he says that the competing thing with this sense of adventure is a basic sense of anxiety. And that all decisions really come down to this kind of wrestling match between acting out and living out of a sense of adventure of what God has for us or about living out of a sense of anxiety. So this series, what we're going to be talking about is not so much about our actions as it is about our decisions that lead to actions. Are we, are we acting out of, are we choosing paths based on a sense of adventure or a sense of anxiety? Now, to have that conversation, we're going to look at one scripture passage for all of the weeks of this series. It's a famous passage of scripture. All of you, whether this is your first time in church ever, you at least know the outline of this story. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, and what we're going to do in the weeks ahead is we're going to look at small little snippets, so small passages. But to start this series today, we're going to look at the whole thing. It's 50 verses. We're going to read a lot of scripture right now, okay? And, um, and so... Let's bring it up here on the screen. And as it comes up, I want you to listen and read along to this passage. And I don't want you to just hear it with familiar ears, but I want you to pay attention to all the different characters in this story, all the different people, because there are a lot, and all of whom are making decisions. And I want you to pay attention to the decisions being made. And are they making these decisions, would you say, out of a lens of adventure or out of a lens of anxiety? And in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at some of, the, some of these in more detail. So this is it, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armored with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted up to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are not you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, today I defy the ranks of Israel. I give, give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Epaphrite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three eldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest, I just nailed those names. Did you see the way that rolled off like that? If you want to talk about anxiety, try reading that in front of 300 people. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Jesse said to his son, David, take your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of the thousand. See how your brothers fare and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning, left someone in charge of the sheep, took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the Israelites, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were very much afraid. The Israelites said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. The king will greatly enrich the man who kills him and will give him his daughter and make his family free in Israel. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? His eldest brother, Eliab, heard him talking to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down just to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? It was only a question. He turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the draw, strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped sword Saul over his armor, and he tried in vain to walk for he was not used to them. And then David said, I can't walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took from his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. So, in this passage... You have a lot of different people. We miss things when we just say it's David and Goliath. There are a lot of different people who are making a lot of different decisions. And we want to ask this question today, how are they making those decisions? Is it out of a sense of adventure or a sense of anxiety? I mean, you've got Goliath and the king of the Philistines who make this decision to allow an entire war to be fought based on the exploits of one person, one-on-one combat. You've got Saul, this king of Israel who is like many leaders, just paralyzed in fear of not wanting to mess things up or do the wrong thing. And then you've got all the soldiers of Israel too, who for 40 days hear this, this, this insult from Goliath. And every day they make the decision not to stand up and go fight. Any of them could have volunteered for the job and none of them do. They're making decisions every single day. You've got Jesse, the father of David that sends his shepherd son to go and to see his older brothers and to serve them and to leave the flock behind. And that may not seem like a big deal to us, but at that time, the flock of sheep was the livelihood of the family. And so to leave the, to have the shepherd leave when they could be attacked by a lion or a bear in the care of someone else, Jesse is taking a risk in a way here by sending David to serve his brothers. And what's driving that? What's driving that decision? What's driving Eliab, David's older brother, that when David says and asks what the, what's going on, that Eliab has this really harsh response that could have just, uh, probably did just kind of cut David to the core. 
And then you've got David choosing to go fight. And then you've got this transformation of Saul, who at the beginning is paralyzed. But by the end of the passage, something's happened in Saul where he allows this young youth to go out and to fight and let the whole war be waged on what David can do. Something happens in Saul that he makes that decision in the end. And then you've got David who leaves the armor behind and goes and fights this great warrior with a sling and stones. A lot of people making a lot of different decisions. And we're going to, in the weeks ahead, look at them. But where I want to start today and what I want to invite you to think about this week is the place of anxiety in the decisions that we make and the decisions that you see here in this passage. Friedman in his book talks about how for every single one of us, anxiety is a big part of us making the decisions that we do. I, for the last couple of weeks, have been doing what I'm going to ask you to do today, which I've started trying to pay attention to decisions. Lots of times we just get in habits and we don't see them as decisions anymore. But we every day make lots and lots and lots of decisions. And it has been convicting for me how much anxiety drives the decisions that I make in all kinds of different aspects of our life. And that I'm following a God where the most com- uh, com- common commandment in all of the Bible is what, you know? Do not be afraid. Anxiety is a huge part of the lens through which I operate. Much more so than I even thought when we got into this. Friedman says that when we make decisions out of anxiety, it has all kinds of consequences. And normally we just realize the consequences, right? He says it has consequences in our relationships. He says, for example, when uh, you have any kind of friendship, any kind of, uh, of, of romantic relationship in your marriage, uh, with your children, with your coworkers, he says that one of the most important things to a lasting, deep relationship is the ability to have conflict. Conflict is one of the most important things that we need, and we need conflict to break through barriers and go deeper. But the fact is, a lot of us don't like conflict. We kind of don't like it. It makes us uncomfortable, and so we just sort of smooth things over and make things okay. He says that when we make the decision to do that, every time that is an anxiety-based decision to just like, let's just kind of keep the peace here right now. And what he says is that over time, that's maybe the most destructive things for relationships that you can ever have. Because what happens is, is that they just sort of grow cold and stale over time because we just keep things fine. But it's anxiety of conflict that can drive that. Or or take uh, community. Take relationships here at the church. One of the things we're going to be working a lot on this year that John's been uh, working on and we're going to be talking on in the discipleship committee uh, is how we do and how we create pockets of community in this large and growing church. How do we do that? Because all of us, all of us need pockets of people with whom we're doing life. But having that kind of community is one of the most anxiety-ridden processes we can have. So what John is doing and his committee is doing is they're working on curriculum for small groups and when could they start and how would they begin and how long would they last and all this kind of stuff. And we can do all this great work on it. But here's the thing. Any kind of mentoring relationship, prayer request time, small group that you enter into, it, the success of it will mostly come down to a decision that you have to make over and over and over again. And the decision is whether you're going to be honest or not. It's when someone says to you, how can we pray for you and walk with you? Do you actually answer that question or do you not? Or do you keep your mask up and go, you can just pray for things at work? That means nothing. It means nothing. And yet we do that to just sort of keep things okay. 
Having people get beyond the masks and walls and labels and images of our life is one of the most anxiety-producing things. But when we see it as an adventure and we allow people to actually get in, God can change your life through that more than just about anything else you will ever experience. If we write the greatest curriculum in the world and you don't tell the truth, it's not going to work. It's just going to be fine. It's about the decision and how we make it out of a sense of what God has in store or out of a sense of anxiety. And Friedman says it happens in any institution all the time, including the church, but in any kind of corporation. And the way that anxiety is brought about in our systems and our churches is where we just try to maintain the status quo. Friedman says that the most dangerous language in any kind of institution, a company, a church, a business, government is, this is not how we do things here. That that idea of, of, I just need to keep things the same, we need to not rock the boat, that at its core, that may feel faithful, but that is an anxiety-based decision. That usually comes out of, and it's understandable, the world's changing, culture's changing, everything's changing out there, and I just need this to be solid. I just need this to be okay. I just need this to make sense, and we're going to just keep this the way it is. And Friedman says that for any company, corporation, for any church, uh, any synagogue, any faith community, that that is the quickest way to move towards irrelevance. Because you lose sight of your mission at that point, and what we become is four people sitting around going, well, we really like it this way. This is just how we like it here. And that that is born not out of a sense of adventure of what might be the new thing God has for us. And it's not about being reckless and just changing everything, but it's about constantly saying, what's the new thing God's doing versus this is how I like it. We saw the power of, of somebody this week who made a decision to move beyond anxiety and, and move towards hope in the refugee crisis that we're seeing right now in Europe. This is an unbelievable humanitarian crisis that is going on in our globe right now. The largest movement of refugees at any point since World War II. And there are many governments in Europe that out of a posture of anxiety, and I understand this, I mean, this is not unreasonable, are reacting with clenched fists going, no, you can't come here. There's issues of terrorism. There's issues of that the reason you want to come here is our kind of welfare and benefits. And if all of you just come, we can't afford it anymore and you're going to ruin it all. And so you've got to go somewhere else. And in the midst of that anxiety and that posture, that's a lot of decisions being made from a place of inherent anxiety, came a call from Pope Francis to the church in Europe saying, I know it's anxiety-ridden. I know it's scary. I know it's different. But we need to open our arms wide here. Adventures are not always fun. And adventures don't mean that it's the lack of anxiety, but it's not letting anxiety control your decisions. And he challenged every single congregation to sponsor at least one refugee or refugee family. Get to know them, reach out to them. And yes, it's going to change you and it's going to be different. But the response of people of faith is never to go, this is mine and if you come here, you'll mess it up. That's not how Jesus has called us to be. But it comes down to decisions out of acting out of a sense of adventure or a sense of anxiety. So this week, I want you to do what I've gotten to do over the last couple weeks, which is to really pay attention to your decisions this week. Really pay attention to your decisions and pull back at times going, why did I do that? Why did I react that way? Why did we react that way? Why do we have these habits that have grown? Take some time this week to really think about why you are with your friends and school and your work and your families, why you do the things you do. Have the maturity to sort of pull back and go, what's driving that? And you might be surprised at how much anxiety 
is right there at the core driving how we respond and act and believe and behave. And as you do that, I want you to have this last example in your mind as you're reflecting on your own life. And it is the example of a man named Paul Potts. Paul Potts, and we're going to watch a video on him in just a second to to wrap things up. Paul Potts is a man from Wales. So that means he's a pretty cool person in the UK. Uh, My wife is Welsh, so I had to say that. So Paul Potts, at the time this video was shot in 2007, was someone that nobody knew. He was a Welsh cell phone salesman in a store in a shopping mall in Cardiff, which is the capital city of Wales. And his life changed in some ways when a new British reality TV show started called Britain's Got Talent. Now, Britain's Got Talent was started by a guy named Simon Cowell, who's on the video, and some of you will know, if you've ever watched American Idol, Simon Cowell was the really, really mean English guy when it started, who was one of the three judges that would just tell people what they think, and people would leave in tears, and audiences loved him. And after years of American Idol, he started a very similar show in the UK called Britain's Got Talent. He's one of the three celebrity judges here. And just like American Idol, for the first round, they would travel to these different British cities, Uh, allowing people to try out. Now, most of the people don't try out in front of the celebrity judges. They just do it in uh, a small room. And they're trying to all move from the first round to the second round. Now, Paul Potts described himself as a very quiet and insecure person. He had been bullied all of his life, all through school, in some really horrible ways. And he had just, as as an adult, had started developing this pattern of just kind of living close in his own world struggling with a lot of insecurity. But in this Britain's Got Talent, he had a friend who convinced him to go and try out. To try out, and you can do anything you want to do. And so Paul Potts showed up at the tryout, and maybe because he looked of how he looked, or maybe because of his nervousness, he was selected to perform in front of the celebrity judges on the main stage. He tried to leave when he found out that he had been selected to perform in front of the celebrity judges on the main stage. He tried to leave, and his friend had to go find him and bring him back right before the audition. I want you to watch this video, and I specifically want you to listen to what Paul Potts says about confidence and how confidence or the lack thereof has driven his decisions about in the years prior to this moment. And I want you to ask yourself, can you relate? in any way to what he's describing. Let's run the video now. Jerry, we'd love you to do Aerosmith at some point. For <laughs> So Paul Potts not only advanced to the second round of this competition that was filled by mostly teenagers who wanted to be pop stars and in the next boy band, but he advanced to the third round and the fourth round and the fifth round and this amateur opera singer and a pop star based competition wound up making it to the finals and singing opera in front of a live national TV audience. The audience in front of him had the queen and members of the royal family who were there and he won. His first album, a few months later, went to number one in the charts in nine different countries. He's released two other opera albums And Hollywood is about to release a major motion picture about his life that's going to be coming out in about a year. What's fascinating to me about people like Paul Potts, what's fascinating to me about people like David in this story is not so much the action of what they do, but it's the decision they make and why they make it to step out, to step up. Paul Potts for years had made the decision not to sing 
out of a sense of anxiety. And every day, every day, you and I make similar decisions for all the same reasons. We make decisions for all the same reasons, which is based out of anxiety and worry and fear. But I want you to know that God has created you to make a difference, to make an impact, that God has placed you on this earth at this time in human history for a reason. And the only way that we get in touch by that is moving beyond anxiety of hearing the words of God saying, do not be afraid, and stepping forward in the ways we are called. This week, pay attention to your decisions. Pay attention to how you make them. And open yourself up to the leading of God that may do more than you could ask or imagine if we step into a sense of adventure. I'm excited to explore this with you in detail in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be with us in our decisions. That you would be with us and guide us and lead us. Help us to pay attention to the decisions we make and the assumption that we just do what we do or we just are in the habit or that it just be the right thing. Lead us and call us beyond anxiety, beyond fear, beyond worry, beyond how we often paralyze ourselves into a sense of adventure. And we pray that we would step into our call, which for each of us is bold and bright and beautiful. And we pray for this and trust in your faithfulness to guide and lead us forward in this journey. And we pray for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.